Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 309, recorded November 8th, Election Day. I am Brian Hawken. And I'm Michael Kennedy. Okay, now let's look at your thing. So first of all, redesign the Python Bytes website to make it uh, like responsive. So even like the table gets like super cool when you, you scroll up. But that's not what I want to talk about. That's not oh, why neat. I brought it up. I mean, I always get these emails. I know you haven't logged into our site in five years, but we've redesigned it. Let's tell you about it. Like, no, I don't care. The reason I'm on this page, what is the date today? November what? It's the, it's the 8th. It's the wow. 8th. Yesterday was Python Bytes' birthday. Six years old now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> can't believe it's been six years so yeah six incredible. years the intro to the show and pip nine is out what are we on like pip 30 so i don't know i've not paid attention <laughs> well they went it's, from it's past 20 for sure they went from uh semver to calver so you can't it's hard to count it's still been a long time yeah absolutely all right well uh anyway happy birthday to us uh let's let's Yay, jump we in brought cake i know cake we have to use cake emojis somewhere today i suppose all right so i want to tell you about something that uh, really touches on the cybersecurity, um, pen testing, you know, red team, blue team sort of hacker side. And I don't know if people are aware, but Python is used a lot for the pen testing um, security side of the world. We've had some guests on the show here before that talked about their work, right? We're like, oh, we don't understand this. You got to come share this with people yourself. It's, it's awesome, but uh, we, we, we're not worthy. But there's a really interesting set of research. And this research came from Sofian Yadmani and Robin Thay and Olga Gadiataska. Sorry if I butchered everyone's name there. But it is, uh, the title of the official academic articles is out of Norway, I think. Uh, how security professionals are being attacked, a study of malicious CVE proof of concept exploits in GitHub. Have you, have you run across this? No. Interesting. So it's, it sounds like it doesn't totally apply as maybe a Python programmer thing, but here's the deal. In order to, when these CVEs, these uh, vulnerabilities come out and get announced, a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, there's some problem, but like, what does it manifest like? If I'm going to write some code to explore it, to understand it, to do all the various things, how do I get started, right? A lot of these are super complicated. And yeah. so what people will do is they'll post a simple proof of concept. Like imagine you've got a sandboxed web browser and it shouldn't be able to access, like for example, your processes and other parts of your file system. So if I went to a web page, I could make it pop up, um, I don't know, notepad with the text, no, 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 we got you. You know, something silly like that. You're like, oh my God, it opened notepad. Well, these people did a, a some research and they they found 47,000 posted proofs of concept. And uh, let's see, somewhere uh, it's in the, the article, they talk about the actual language breakdown. Here you go. So when they said, what languages are these written in? HTML, 300, Ruby, 300, Go, 400, C++, 1,000, Python, 8,000. <laughs> so that's a lot, right? So Python is by a factor of eight, the most common language that they are able to determine the language of, of the, the exploit. So it's it's something that really kind of applies to us. And of, of the, how many were there? There was like 47,000 of them. And out of those, 4,800 or 10% were malicious, which sounds like, so what? It's a proof of concept of a malicious thing. No, it's like a meta malicious. So here's the deal. It says, we will show you how you can break into Active Directory on this new exploit, what it really does is installs ransomware on your computer. 
So oh. if, if you as a if you as a person are like, I want to try this out and see if our system is vulnerable, like instead of it doing what it said it would do, it just takes over your computer. And there's various ways in which it does it. It might contact like a known malicious. No, I know. Well, it's, there are some lulls in there to be sure, but... <laughs> But the idea is there's some, it'll like take your, you know, your SSH keys and like upload them to some malicious, you know, pastebin type place, or it will install crypto miners or it'll install, you know, ransomware encryption types of things. And a few of them say, you shouldn't have just run code off the internet. What are you doing? And it'll like rickroll you. But the majority of them take, take over for real. So there's, isn't that nuts? Yeah. 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 So rickrolls are hilarious I don't know. though. Just saying. They are. In the they are. Even in the paper, there's actually some um some Python proof of code. So here let me show you down here, like uh pull this up. I don't know how to link to um a code listing inside of a PDF. So I'm just gonna cruise this. Here we go. So for example, over here. So here it says this is an example of one of these proof of concepts that shows you how things might work. And what is it going to do? It's going to go and say, it's going to sleep for a second, get your host name, create a user thing, da 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 And then, oddly, instead of saying the URL is a thing, the URL is a base64 decoded, encoded bunch of garbage, right? What is this? Yeah. This, this is the malicious website that they're going to send your information to. But when you look at it, it doesn't look like, here's the virus. It's like, oh, they're just decoding this text, I see. Like, no, 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 no. This is the virus right there. Yeah. And there's way more complicated examples, but you know, pretty nuts. Yeah. Anyway, plus the formatting is gross. They should really run black uh, on this. I know they totally, <laughs> they totally should. You deserve what you get if you run that. Now, this is a pretty interesting thing. And if you're in the security space, you know, if there's a 10% chance of just checking out one of these proof of concepts that you'll get owned, you know, just be aware. I mean, you consider the the audience of the people creating these. So I guess you know, a bunch of hackers are like, hey, I made this code. You should try it. But no, but actually, the, we should have like a search thing or something like that. Because that base64 decode thing is a classic, just don't touch it sort of thing. If Especially if it's going into a URL or something. It's just, it's not good. Yeah, they did come up with a way to automatically test for things. They said, look, if it's con contacting a well-known malicious con command and control type uh, IP address, which are, there's a listing, a database of these types of things. It's like, you know what? That's a problem. Here's a proof of concept that should have nothing to do with the internet, and it's uploading data. That doesn't seem like it should, right? Or it's downloading this data from uh, somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like that uh, Kim has got the, he's got the glass half full. A base64 encoded URL is surely completely safe and nothing to worry about. And Marco <laughs> is concerned about the SSH keys. It's kind of gone. Yeah. And thanks for the happy birthday wishes out in the audience as well from everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks, people. All right, Brian, that's all I got. But there's a really cool paper. There's some proof of concepts in there. There's a couple write-ups on it. It's worth checking out. Okay, cool. Well, I um, actually want to talk about something completely sort of different. So if you've... Um, uh, let's just... Uh, I'll go to us for a second. Um, if, if normally I get a lot of my news from people uh, on Twitter, but... <laughs> Twitter kind of is uh, in the news lately because things are kind of going weird with Twitter. So what are people doing? Well, a lot of people, um, a lot of people actually are, are checking out Mastodon. So I'm, I'm calling this the great Mastodon experiment uh, because tons of us Python people and actually tons of tech people and tons of other people also are trying out this Mastodon thing. And in the back of our mind, it was, well, like, yeah, 
Mastodon seems kind of interesting. It's like a, a sort of maybe an alternative to Twitter, but not many people there. Now there's a lot of people there, <laughs> like tons of people. Um, I don't know what the numbers are compared to Twitter, of course. But uh, anyway, so I am part of this. I'm part of the people that have switched. But but if you like here, I'm we're showing the Mastodon like uh, joinmastodon.org site. And the first thing you want to do, OK, I want to try this. So I have to OK, I have to create an account. So you, the first thing you hit is, well, which server do you want to use? I was stuck here for a while and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I went ahead and I uh, used Twitter and I asked and Will was there uh, from Will said he's on Mastodon.social, uh, Will McGugan. And I just asked, uh, I'm still stuck on the choose a server. What are people using? And I got one reply right away saying, well, Fostodon.org has Anthony Shaw and a bunch of other people. And I'm like, good enough for me. So I went ahead and picked it. So um, I am now on Fostodon also. And nice. then I'm just trying stuff. I'm like just trying it out, playing it, playing with it, following some people, um, commenting, whatever. And so far I kind of like it. It's uh it's nice. Now, now that I've kind of like I got the basics down, now I'm ready to learn some more. And um and so I put together, went through and found some tutorials. So if anybody else wants to try this also, I found some kind of fun tutorials. There's one that's called the increasingly less brief guide to Mastodon. It's big. Um but it's a uh, it's so it, it that's nice though it starts out with like uh um <laughs> with like short answers like uh you know what is it how is it like twitter how is it not like twitter stuff like that um and uh one of the things comparisons that confused me a bit was how is it like email but uh i didn't get the analogy at first but i kind of do now so the idea is you have to pick a server but you can still follow people on other servers. Just like if you have a Gmail account, you can still email people that are not in Gmail. Works. Um, so there's that. There's everything I know about Mastodon. Me, sorry, but it reminds me a little bit of like BBSs. Remember, like yeah. you could go to BBS and write email and then they would like sync at night and then you might get email from oh, some yeah. other BBS. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something I also noticed that at first I was a little annoyed because like it, it's not as zippy sometimes like uh, it's growing a lot. So a lot of these servers are like adding capacity. And so occasionally, like the, the other day, the Fostodon uh, server was down for a couple hours and I'm like, oh, my God, um, actually, I'll be fine if I don't use a social media app for two hours. Just chill. Um, and so, yeah, it's a it's I it's interesting. There's not there's a lot of stuff I've learned so far, like there's it's not filtering what i'm seeing i actually just see everything that people write that i'm following actually isn't that what i wanted um so I, i'm pretty okay with it so i put together uh, i'll go through a couple of these there's everything i know it's for it targeted towards data science people but there's a lot of great info there um there's uh and then uh simon willison he's trying this out too said uh is <laughs> um mastodon is just blogs so uh I was confused by that, but he describes how it's uh, how it's like it uses this active pub feature and gets into a little details. But I think he knows what he's talking about because he wrote his own. He's on his own server, so you can have your own. You can have your own Mastodon server. Um, but some of the people uh, trying it out uh, at the same time, we've got some big names. Lucas Langa, he's trying it out. Um, he linked to a couple things like uh, that he's learning about. You know, it's but really supposed to repost in multiple places, things like that. I've got Brett Cannon figuring it out. So a lot of us over here uh, having a little bit of fun with uh, Mastodon. So That's fantastic. Yeah, so Fostodon.org is the free and open source software Mastodon 
one, right? Yeah. But a lot of people are on, so like a lot of people are on mastodon.social. Um, here's a cool article. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I, clients wise, there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of iPhone clients too, but you can use it on the web or anything. Um, Lucas is, Lucas is on, or Lokesh, Lokesh I'm sorry, is on mastodon.social also. Brett's, Brett's on Fostodon, but there's a whole bunch of others as well. So, yeah, I, you have to apply to get in there. So I applied, but I have not been let in yet. So hopefully they will find me worthy and I can join you. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Uh, well, I know some of them. So some of them are, since these are private things, there's got like people running their own servers. Um, uh, there's, there's funding models on each of them. And yeah. like Fostodon, for instance, said they want to make sure that they always have six months of running time or something like that. Uh, yeah. And that's cool enough for me. So anyway. Yeah, I'd be happy to pay a dollar or two a month just to have no ads and have a, a well-curated, somewhat not terrible space. You know, yeah, I wasn't really getting to get into the to politics of it, but the whole $8 a month thing. Actually, if I could have got rid of ads and actually got some other cool features, I probably would have paid mm -hmm. it anyway. I just don't want to pay it now. I'd be like two months ago, I probably wouldn't have been up for it, but. I don't want to do that right now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I have no intention of leaving Twitter at the moment. There's still like a really valuable community for the podcast listeners and stuff. But I do think it's also super interesting to reach out to these other spaces. Mastodon is one. It's it's kind of interesting in that it's there's a bunch of little islands. And the thing that's cool about Twitter is you go to the the continent and then you find your space within that. It's like here you got to what is the like the place I go to. I'm telling you, this is like BBS's. Like what what BBS has the place where it's, there's kind of cool conversations and good games I can play and you dial that one up. Or we could just go back to like, uh, you know, Planet Python and RSS feeds for everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. nothing wrong with RSS. Cool, well, uh, thanks for bringing that up. I have some more thoughts on this uh, as well later, but for now. For now, maybe we could talk about our, our sponsor. What do you think? We should talk about our sponsor because it's cool that we have one, but also um, it's Microsoft. So this episode of Python Bytes is brought to you by Microsoft for startups. Um, but starting a business a business is hard. Um, most startups uh, go out of business within the first year, which is totally lame. So Microsoft for Startups set out to understand what startups need to be successful and created a digital platform to help you overcome those challenges. And they came up with Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Uh, the Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources to help solve startup challenges. The platform provides technology benefits, access to expert guidance and skilled resources, mentorship and network connections, and so much more. Unlike others in the industry, Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor-backed or third-party validated to participate. Founders Hub is truly open to all. You can speed up development with free access to GitHub and Microsoft Cloud. Um, uh, and other. Uh, there's, a, there's other uh, uh, partners that they partner with, such as OpenAI. You can get discounts through there. So you'll have access to those extra resources, but you also get access to their mentorship network, uh, which includes hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines. Need advice on marketing, fundraising, idea validation, maybe tons of topics that you might need help on, including management and coaching. And you'll be able to book a one-to-one -one meeting, one-on-one -on -one meeting with mentors, many of whom were former founders themselves. It's no longer about who you know. Get critical support you need from Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Make your idea a reality today. To join the program, visit pythonbytes.fm Founders Hub 2022. And that link is in the show notes. 
And I know you can find this on your own by Googling, but using that link in the show notes will help them know that you found it through this podcast. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Microsoft. Oh, you're on mute. I am. Thank you, Microsoft. And uh, yeah, let's let's move on. Uh, a couple of these things are about continued journeys. Sometimes we're we're on a, a journey, you know. Yeah. And switch it over. Theory over on Twitter, not Mastodon yet, uh, sent me sent us a message and said, "Hey, uh, nice episode. You know, remember I was on this? I talked about like um, panics, um, SSH." A thing called prompt and some of the other ways I was trying to like, well, how do I just take my iPad and no keyboards and no extra stuff and just have a little like devsopsy coding type oh, yeah. environment, right? So theory says you should check out Gitpod. Have you heard of Gitpod? No. No. Uh pod as in pods from Kubernetes. But here, uh he says um yeah, but basically I'll just pull up and show you what it is. So if you go over here, the idea is it says always ready to code. Like that sounds cool, right? And I love look at this little graphic, right? Okay, you're like <laughs> your chair is an enter button. I, I love it. Oh, I didn't uh, notice that right at first. That's cool. Yeah. And by the way, they just this happened, I think, since this got sent over. They just raved a $25 million series A round. So there's a good, you know, there's a lot of effort behind this, right? Um, GitPod is, I believe there's an open source version and then like a hosted version as well. So the idea is what you can do is I can go and it'll create a Kubernetes Docker type image that I can configure. So basically a Linux machine that's isolated for me, which is yeah. nice. And then I can log into it one of two ways. I can log into it in the browser. And just just like if you go to github.dev, which is what I suggested before, in the browser, this connects to your own uh, environment, which the thing that's cool about this is it's that environment, you have root access to do whatever you want to it. So if you got to pip install something that's weird or whatever, like you're not like, oh, well, sorry, you can't install this dependency. Too bad, right? It's just, it's yours. You do whatever you want with it. And that's in the browser. So on your iPad browser, for example, or if you happen to be on the desktop and what you want is just like a, I'm on an ARM machine. I want an x86 machine, or I, I want a Linux machine that's like production. And that is not just my Mac or my Windows machine. You can actually connect to it with a full-on VS code or even PyCharm. You can plug directly into it and remotely edit locally on v- on PyCharm locally, but then like debug and run your environment there. Wow. Is that? That's really cool. Yeah. It also works for IntelliJ, uh, the, the Go, basically all the, all the VS code and all the, Py- uh, the, the JetBrains IDEs, which is like a huge long list and Vim and also Vimit. Wow. So anyway, this is really cool. And um, there's uh, one of the recommendations or like the reasons for it. It says, look, you can do multi-track development. So if I'm doing like a, I'm working on a feature branch and I'm I'm working on main dev and I'm trying to do a bug fix instead of, you know, staging or stashing and then checking out and then try that then unstat, you know, check over to the other thing, unstat, like, uh, you know, juggling one working environment. You can have multiples of these Git pods, one for each part of your project, even bring it closer uh, to your Linux and Docker uh, runtime. Uh, you can even do like sh- paired programming on it, which is kind of interesting. And here they got an example of it uh, running on um, an iPad. And apparently you can install like a bunch of different extensions and stuff and like, you know, configure up your, your thing. So there's an open source version, which is <laughs> free from big tech influence. Um, but there's also, you can get their um, their version on the cloud or you can self-host it or, or whatever, right? And so there is a paid component to this. Like this, you know, they got $25 million, right? It's not just like to set on fire, although maybe. 
there's a free version, which is gives you 50 hours of, of coding a month. That's pretty good. Or you can pay $9 a month for a hundred hours, or there's like other, uh, other higher tiers, 25, 40 bucks and stuff, but it's open source and there's some free versions and reasonably priced versions. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's pretty cool. So thanks theory for sending it over and you know, uh, it's, it's definitely an option out there. Yeah. And the self-hosted also is, looks like an option as well. Yeah, exactly. So you can self-host. I think you basically probably set up a Kubernetes cluster and like it, it connects and goes against that. Oh yeah. Just, just throw up a Kubernetes cluster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, I haven't, I did play around with it and it, it worked pretty well, but I haven't done anything serious. Nothing. It still looks cool no, though. No. I like it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. What's your last one here? Oh, last one is a short one. I just wanted to talk about terminal colors. So, um, so I've got this little a little Pytest plugin called Pytest Check, and it's got some terminal output, but it does talk about failures. And somebody completely reasonably uh, um, submitted an issue and said it'd be cool if these were red, um, so you could see them <laughs> easier. And I'm like. Yeah, that would be cool. So what should I do? Well, I could, uh, you know, Will, I want to let you know that I, the first thing I thought about was I could throw a rich at it. So I could, I could use rich to do, to put red in the terminal and, but rich is now rich is awesome. I love rich, but, um, maybe it's a bit of a big hammer for, uh, for just adding one color at just adding red. Um, so I uh, went looking around a little bit and um, there's term color and there's colorama and there's other things. I ended up, I'm looking at colorama right now is what I'm playing with. So colorama um, is used by a lot of uh, applications. And one of the reasons why is because it helps with the cross uh, being able to use uh, colors on both, uh, both windows and everything else. Windows is a little special. It doesn't act like the other stuff. So you have to do things a bit special. And I was kind of glad I looked at this because uh, one of the things that came up recently in one of the new versions is uh, Colorama has a thing called Just Fix Windows Console. It's just a from Colorama import Just Fix Windows Console. And you call <laughs> that. And after you call that, then your window, if you're running your application on Windows, it acts just like a normal TTY terminal uh, on Linux or Mac or something. Oh, wow. Um, uh, at least in terms of a lot of stuff. Uh, the other thing that just fix Windows console, I think I get got this right, is it's you used to have to call init and now you call this other thing, but you can you can call that on Mac also and it just doesn't hurt anything. It's fine. Um, so you can and now after you've done that, and it and there's a whole bunch of text here that I just skimmed really briefly. I just wanted it to work. Uh, just call that, and then you can use these uh, these color codes uh, like four four dot red, for instance. That's what I wanted. Just some red text, and there I've got it. So after you change change stuff around, you also have to reset it. So there's a reset code. Now you can do the same thing, and and it has it on their their uh, uh, readme. Is you can use the uh, the hex or whatever color code escape sequences so backslash zero three three bracket 31 m is red but i don't i, I think i'll go with the uh the, the named ones how about some constants instead yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um this is pretty cool and um i think i kind of think this is where i'm gonna go with uh with adding red to my test check so um if you want just a little bit of color and nothing that you need rich for um colorama might be what you want so Nice. Colorama is definitely a go-to for me when I just want, like, I just, this needs to be red or green. It just needs to stand out somehow, um, for sure. It's very cool. Yeah. 
Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to our extras, huh? Yeah. Do you got any extras? Uh, you know I do. Let's see. <laughs> uh, some of these are quick, some slightly a little more. So um, Roman Wright, who often we find here in the live streams as well, Maker of Beanie. Love Beanie. Beanie is powering PythonBytes.fm, by the way, for various and various other things. So super awesome. Uh, he'd been thinking, and so Beanie is Pydantic plus MongoDB async. And he said, there's plenty of reasons why we might want a synchronous API. I'm just in the middle of some script and I just need to talk to the database real quick. Like, do I really need to upgrade this whole thing to handle async code? Shouldn't there just be a way to call it? There should. And uh, so he created a derivative or mirrored version that is like Beanie, but has a synchronous set of APIs instead of asynchronous APIs called Bunnit, which I don't know the word Bunnit, but I think it has something to do with... Uh, 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 like something to do with a bean. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, but it, uh, it's, it's similar to Beanie, except for you just don't await things, right? You just use the PyMongo base instead of the motor uh, client under the hood. And then you just, you know, do thing insert or thing dot find one or whatever. So people can check that out if they're into Beanie, but they don't want the async version. Hmm. Yeah. It's so brand new. I just looked it up. A bunnet is a, uh, it's, it's a type of hat. It's like a Scottish hat. Okay, well, that would explain the uh, yeah. the the icon here. Yeah. Maybe it looks like a bean, but it's actually a hat. <laughs> ah, Roman's here. Hey, Roman. So this is a Scottish word. Fabulous. And Will yeah. McGugan uh, is a bun. It's a hat worn by old Scottish men. Lovely. Cool. <laughs> awesome. And congrats, Roman, on getting that out there. That's awesome. Uh, PyCon. You brought up PyCon 2023 last week. Yeah. And they've got this cool like tiled sort of celebration of history on their um, website. And they tell you that it will be April 19 to 27. There's a small problem with that, though. How actionable is it? If I want to go to the conference and I want to go see the main talks, when do I book my travel? Yeah, the whole thing. Just stay there. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome, right? I can come to the tutorials and do the week of sprints after. I don't know. That's a lot. And so I reached out to Twitter and Marietta says, um, tutorials are on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Talks, keynotes, expo halls are Friday to Sunday. And from Monday onwards, those are the spreads. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, yesterday, while I was sitting, getting studded winter tires put on my car so I can go to the mountains and not die, um, I decided to go ahead and book my travel and I'm going to go to the conference. We talked about maybe we'll go, maybe not. I'm going to go for a whole week. I'm going to show up on Thursday and leave on the next Thursday, maybe be part of the sprints, but definitely do a ton of podcasting while I'm there and try to just make it like a, other people will wow. be sprinting on code. I'm going to be sprinting on podcast episodes. Now I got to decide what I'm going to do. I haven't decided yet. I'll probably yeah, go. Flights are, flights are still pretty cheap right now. They might be like hotels and stuff. I think um, there are really a lot of variations. Like there was, I was like, oh, maybe I'll stay at the Hilton. $3,300. Like, yeah, maybe I won't stay at the Hilton. What else? <laughs> so I think people Ooh. are starting to book it out. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, Marietta, for sharing that information. It makes it much easier for us to plan um, about participating or even just watching PyCon online. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, quick shout out to uh, GeForce Now. Have you heard of GeForce Now? No. So my daughter's really into gaming these days. She plays a bunch of like horse riding games and uh, Minecraft and uh, Planet Zoo. And there's like a cool a Jurassic Park thing that's like a Sims, but for dinosaurs and most of these games run on windows and we have a an alienware computer but it's like all set up for my sim racing so it's kind of hard to play games on that don't involve a steering wheel and she's like how can i play these games on my pc i'm like uh or my my mac right she has a macbook air I'm like uh i don't know 
She's like, how could I play if I'm not at home and I can stream? So we pl- we tried out GeForce Now. Basically, it will they'll give you a high-end Windows computer and like a GeForce 3080, and it just streams like ne- Netflix to your your PC. And it is super low latency. I mean, it's like you're really just playing it there, but you're not. It's it's pretty awesome. Oh, so you're playing? It's it, you can play a game on a remote computer then, and yeah, or I mean, you can play it on your iPad, or you can play it on your iPhone or Android okay. or on your your Mac or whatever. And they've got a completely 100% free tier, so it's, it's nice. pretty nuts. We should check that out. Anyway, uh, that was a cool techno experience. Two new YouTube videos I've released. One five days ago, one five hours ago. How about that for timing? Nice. So as part of this sort of social media, Twitter madness, and various other things, I've been thinking about this for a while. Anyway, I'm like, I, I really want to try to build up my presence on other areas and that are not just Twitter. And so like, well, YouTube might be one fun place to sort of build up a community. So I'm starting to add more videos there, right? So like I've done in the past couple of weeks, I've done four videos, but the last two is a walrus meets a Python, which is fun. That's about the walrus operator. And then the one that came out today is Python GC settings, which shows some insane stuff you can do to tweak the GC a little bit and get crazy better performance. Nice. The GC being the garbage collector, right? Yes. Not reference counting, which does like 99.9% of Python memory. The point zero point one percent or the point one percent, whatever's left over, like that actually you often can turn that down because you don't really have cycles that much that get lost. And it turns out to have uh, some pretty interesting effects. We cool. talked we think we covered um uh, was was it Instagram, I think. I think they wrote an article called Dismissing the Garbage Collector, where they literally turned it off in production. It was either that or um or I can't remember which one which company <laughs> did it. But this is kind of like a well, let's don't be so aggressive like that, but kind of. You know, and okay. it's it's pretty yeah. Nice. People can check those out. Um, yeah. So one of the things uh, uh, that I the only extra I've got is um, I really liked this uh, article um, from Simon Wilson about what to blog about. So a lot of so people are you have a presence somewhere other than Twitter, like and maybe write start writing your blog more. Um, and I like this what to blog about. He goes through a couple things. One of the things is that today I learned. And I, you know, I actually, at first, when I first encountered the TIL thing, I first was like, why not? Why do you need that? Can't you just like, just write what you learned anyway? But a lot of people have this uh, paralysis of if I write how to do something, people are going to think it's a tutorial and I don't know how to do everything with this tool. I just learned this little thing of how to do fix my thing. So um, the T to D the TIL at least is a tag that people will know it's, it's not a full tutorial. It's just a little snippet of somebody learned about this thing. And, and I think this is a great way to go about um, writing it. It can be, uh, it can be short and simple or it can be longer. Plus also if you build up a lot of these around a topic, it might turn into a tutorial later. So, um, cause you could, you, now that you've learned a ton, you can write a blogger, longer blog post about it. I also just want to tell people that it doesn't have to be a, like a full tutorial. You, you don't have to compete with real Python or other places. You can just do a short thing you learned about. It doesn't have to be this. Okay. The other thing he talked about was projects is to write about projects that you've done. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a great idea. And, but I also want to make sure that people understand also the things you're working on, right? Right. As you're building stuff, um, um, this can be part of the TIL, but it could just be, this is the fate. And it's also another way to limit the scope, like, uh, color in the terminal. I don't want to write about all of color in the terminal, but maybe I could write about the, just fixing this one bug or this one feature request, what I went through to figure out how to 
figure out how to use Colorama and and then how do I detect whether it's a TTY terminal or not? Uh, things like that. That could be a decent article just to write about that. Um, and so I think these this uh, these are great tips for uh, unblocking yourself. The other thing I want to tell people about is uh, you, if is, is if you've covered it, you've learned it from somebody else's blog also already, but you it didn't quite meet your needs and you looked at other places. Um, that means that. There is a tutorial out there that's missing, and it's the one that kind of myth fits your brain. You can rewrite something that is diff- is similar to what other people have written about and just write it in a different way that fits you better. And that'll maybe fit other people better, too. So there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be completely unique. So Yeah, absolutely. Definitely doesn't. I like uh, it. That's all I got. Came out there. Yeah, it came out there says TILs are also handy to reread from time to time and remind yourself of things you've figured out then forgotten. Yeah. Like you can see the search engines with stuff that you knew. And then when you forget it, you can find it again. And you know, that's how I started blogging and I didn't call it TIL. I would just, I had a blog nobody was reading and I would just, uh, uh, throw up stuff like, uh, commands that I looked up, like commands from a tool. Like, uh, I always forget how to change my commit message if after I've committed too fast. Um, so throwing up a little post about get commit amend would be fine. Yeah. So anyway. yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a fun episode, but it's still good sometimes to just take a moment and relax, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people, I took my dog for a walk in the woods during sunrise. There was like this fog. Some For some people, getting out in nature is amazing. But as software developers, a lot of times you want to get kind of close to the code or like close to the, the heart of technology. And what it, what speaks heart of technology more than the server? <laughs> this is crazy, man. Yeah, so so here's a thing you can play. It's on YouTube. I'll show you in a second. And it says pure relaxation server sounds. And we can come over here and it actually has tracks. So like it starts with desktop in the doldrum, entering the engine in the engine room, the far side of the cloud. Uh, I find co-location ventilation to be especially relaxing. <laughs> facing facing the cloud. Um, and finally spacewalk. So I just want to play a little bit of this for people, Brian. Okay. I think uh, I think they're gonna enjoy it, maybe. It's amazing, right? So relaxing. So uh, anyway. You shared it with me before we started, though, and and I got to say, it's hilarious. So I'm going to go check this out. I mean, keep in mind, a lot of people have to wear like big earmuff sound protection to go in these rooms. So it might be the opposite of relaxing, but uh, you'll see. You'll see. (laughs) Okay, cool. Nice find. All right. Yeah, thanks. Just here to help people be more productive, you know? Maybe not yeah. with this though. Well, and some of these people that used to be around these all these server farms are now working from home and they might miss that sound. So that's that's true. Good. Roman out there points out that the scary part is actually if the server room is quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going, oh, why is it quiet? This is not good. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, as always. And uh, thank everybody for watching and uh, showing up and listening. We love you. And yep. we'll Thanks, everyone. Everybody. It's been an awesome six years, and we'll we'll keep going. Yeah. Bye. Bye.